Well, we've all heard about the Carnival Ship Splendor. Here's a picture of it that uh, pulled out from port this past Sunday. And this particular ship was bound for a seven-day cruise. But on Monday morning about 6 a.m., smoke started to billow from the engine room. And the power went down. The engine went down. The electricity went down. And people were <laughs> in these cabins that were dark. In fact, the toilets didn't work for 16 hours. And there was a staunch aroma that started to fill uh, the base of the ship. And then on top of that, uh, the food wasn't as plentiful as usually on these cruise ships. They had to wait in line for like two hours for these crab sandwiches. And the people in the front of the line sometimes took crab out of the other sandwiches to add more crab to their sandwich. So the people at the end had mayonnaise sandwiches. So not exactly what you think of when you think about a cruise. Well, they were eventually brought into port in San Diego on Thursday. They had a lot of stories to tell. But as I reflected upon this, I thought to myself, this is just like life. We try to arrange circumstances in our life so that everything will go well uh, for us. And just when we've got everything right where we want it, the bottom falls out, just like on this cruise ship. I want to look at today about how we can experience contentment in life, the joy of contentment, of finding contentment in any situation that we find ourselves in. And we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians. I encourage you to get your Bibles out. In fact, I want you to stand at this time. We're going to read our passage together, if you could all stand together uh, with me, and we will read this together, Philippians 4.10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but if you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts and minds to your word today and to your spirit, and that you would teach us new things <clears throat> about being content in our daily lives. I ask that we would desire be always dependent upon you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, how do we have joy and contentment? Well, the first thing we need to realize is that contentment is uncommon. You don't find it very often and very easily. We look at our first verse, Philippians 4.10. I rejoice greatly. There's that word rejoice again. Paul loves joy. Get the joy is the name of our series. And we choose joy. Joy is not something that kind of comes and in out of our life, but we can choose it on a regular basis because of our relationship with Jesus. I rejoice. It's a verbal form. I choose joy greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So what he's saying here is thank you for your gift. Remember... 
this letter was a thank you note to the people in Philippi for the provisions they had sent while Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And so he was thanking them for this. And he says, you've been concerned about me, but up to this point you haven't had the opportunity to share the gift. We go on to verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So he's saying, I'm glad that you sent the gift to me, but I'm not thanking you so you'll send me another gift because I'm fine no matter what way life goes, no matter what the circumstances are. See, many times our contentment is tied to our circumstances. So, it's like a roller coaster. If things are going well in our life and everything is going our way, we're getting what we want, well, we feel great, we feel content and happy, but when things don't go our way, when problems and pain and issues come about, uh, well, we're on the bottom part of the roller coaster, and then we go up and down based upon what our circumstances are in life. It's a yo-yo way of living, uh, going up and down. But circumstances are not what we should uh, put our joy upon. Our joy should always be upon Jesus Christ as we walk uh, through this life. The idea of contentment in that day uh, the word meant of a country being self-sufficient. No imports were needed. This country existed on its own. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Well, we as Christ followers should be content. We should be Christ-sufficient. We don't need imports from the world to make us happy, to make us content. We need only what Jesus Christ can give us. We need to let that flow into our lives and out of our lives. That's where true contentment comes from. But we live in a culture that really struggles uh, with this. Uh, we're in a culture of discontent. You think of the American dream. Well, how is the American dream seen? Well, it's a materialistic dream, isn't it? If I am living the American dream, I live in a certain type of house, in a certain type of area, I have a certain type of car, I go on certain type of vacations, I have certain type of clothes, certain type of electronic items, TVs, whatever. It's a lifestyle. I have to achieve a certain lifestyle to have the American dream, and that means different things to different people. And the majority of people have not yet achieved this materialistic type of dream and therefore they are discontent we're not happy because we don't have what we want another reason why we are discontent is because we have so much leisure time i know we work hard but compared to other nations where people work from sun up to sundown we have a lot of time to think a lot of time to think about what we don't have about the needs are not being fulfilled in our lives then we have advertising. Every advertisement that you listen to or see, whether it be on TV or radio or print or on the web, is sowing the seed of discontent in your life. You do not have what you really need. You need 
a better car. You need better clothes. You need better grass. You need a better TV. You need a better cell phone. You need a better toothbrush. Because you see, if you don't get it, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be content. So no wonder we walk around thinking, I don't have what I need to be satisfied in this life. Now we're heading into the Christmas season. And really this is the period that is the zenith of materialism in our society. Think about it. In 2008, just when the economy was taking its dive, $28 billion was spent on gifts brought, bought uh, from stores, and $24 million, billion, that is, was spent on gifts bought over the Internet or through other mail-order houses. Well, that's a lot of money, isn't it? And I think what happens is that for some people, gifts mask greed. We're the greediest sometimes when Christmas rolls around. Because what happens in our family is we all decide what we want and sometimes what our greed wants, and we provide the kids with what they want, and they provide us with what we want, and we throw in some more resources maybe uh, for that. And it's really a dangerous time. We really need to think carefully about how we spend our money when we hit the Christmas season. Are we just feeding our greed? Now, to bring us down to reality, to help us to understand how wealthy we really are in this nation, I want you to read some statistics that I put together. And I'm just going to have them on the screens, and you read them silently to yourself and reflect upon them. What's going through your mind right now? I know it's going through my mind. I'm incredibly rich. The one stat that really kind of caught my attention was is that we spend more on trash bags, throwing our trash away, than people do buying the necessities of life. We need to be reminded of that as we're constantly comparing ourselves to what other people have and not thinking about what the majority of the world does not have. Jesus Christ spoke to this issue of greed in Luke 12:15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life does not consist in the American 
dream. It's not about the stuff. Fast Company did a survey of a thousand people. And they asked them this question. If you had a choice between $10,000 more a year in your pay or one more hour a day with your family, what would you choose? Do you know that 87% of the respondents said they'd take the 10 grand? That's a sad commentary on the greed in our society. In another survey, they asked people, what kind of salary would make you happy? A reasonable salary. Those people who were making 25000 said 54000 on an average. Those people making 100000 said 196000 So what are they saying? Double my income and I'll be happy. Well, again, it's not going to work. No matter how much your income is going to be, that is not going to bring the satisfaction and contentment that you look for. Larry Burkett a financial expert, is a Christian, said, one of the greatest mysteries about Christianity is contentment. At least one must presume it's a mystery because so few people have found it. There are so many Christians that really struggle with this, and we all do to some degree. So let's find out how we can learn contentment. That's our second point today. Contentment is uncommon, it's rare, and Contentment is learned. We read in Philippians 4.11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. The key word here is learn. This is good news because I struggle with contentment, but I know it's something that can be learned. I can work on it. It's not part of a personality. It's not a natural bent in life. It's a skill that we all need to hone to the power of God in our life and how we can be content. We go on. In verse 12 it says, Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, Paul says, hey, there have been times in my life that I've lived in plenty, that I've had everything that I need, and I was content then. But there were other times when I was in need, when I was hungry, when I was in want. And certainly we know that from Paul's life story. We've talked about in this series how Paul many times was hungry. He was in prison a lot of the time, and people had to provide food and clothing and other essentials, and sometimes those didn't come through, so he had to suffer with hunger. He was persecuted. He was beaten upon. He was flogged. He was almost stoned to death. He was shipwrecked. Paul had a lot of trouble in his life. And he said, listen, I have learned to be content no matter what's going on. I'm content. And so what we see here is a man who's in his 60s. A man who's waiting to be brought to trial under Nero. A man who probably will be executed, and he knows that. But here he says, 
I'm content. But again, he's in his 60s. It's taken a while, I'm sure, for him to grow to be content with everything that has happened in his life. And the older you are, the easier it is to be content. When you're young, it's just tougher. You have to have some life experiences uh, before you can really learn the depth of contentment that can come through Jesus Christ. Now, people say, well, how can I learn to be content? Well, you have to go to school. And that school is the school of life. That's right. You are in the school of life right now. Right now, you have a set of circumstances that you are going through. Some things are going well. Some some things are not going well. And you have to learn to be content in that through Jesus Christ. And it's not easy, is it? What's the baseline for contentment? What are the basics we need to be content? Well, we look in 1 Timothy, and we see it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. So if you're seeking to be godly, and you also desire to be content, you're on the right track. For we brought nothing into the world. We came in with our birthday suits, right? And we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So here's the baseline for contentment. Food and clothing. Food, not the food from the best places in the area. We're talking like maybe spam as a minimum. (laughs) Okay? All right? And clothes, we're not talking about Hair Apostle or or other brands. We're talking about hand-me-downs. So if you have hand-me-downs on your back, and you have food in your hand, you can be content. It doesn't even talk about housing. He says, but if we have food and clothing, Paul writes, we will be content with that. Many people have stated after they've lost so much in their life, after they've gone through that experience, they said, I never knew I could be content with so little. Well, you can learn to be content with so little if you allow Jesus Christ to teach you through the school of life. That's what we're looking for. So there's a lot of different areas that you need to examine in your life. Okay, where I'm at, I need to be content that I live in the Chicago area. Oh, there's wonderful things about the Chicago area. You've got the lakefront, you've got architecture, you've got mountains of shopping and restaurants. There are some negative things some people think about this area. For example, the weather. Getting a taste of it today. We're heading in to the dark corridor (laughs) of ice and snow and cloudy days. Those kind of anybody really like winter here? Raise your hand. All right, these are the people you need to talk to. All right, find out what their secret is, why they like winter, and have them teach you and school you uh, in that way. But that's hard uh, for a lot of people. And some people think, well, if I could move south, if I could go to Florida, if I go to California, then I'd be happy, I'd be warm, and I'd have the sun shining down upon me. Well, the problem is, is that you're going to take yourself and your issues with you. So when you get down there, it's not going to be much different. 
You're going to be warmer and you're going to see the sun, but you're still going to have the same problems and the same predicament (laughs) that you had before. Friends, moving someplace else is not going to make you content. You need to be content where you're at. Another thing you have to consider is what you do. You have jobs. And you're saying, wait a second, Dan. Uh, you don't know my job. You don't know my boss. You don't know the demands. You don't know the stress. How can I be content? Well, you can be content in your job. Some of you don't have jobs. And God is asking you to be content in your unemployment as you look for a job. You need to be content with what you have. You have a certain type of house, a certain type of car, a certain type of TV, a certain type of of clothes, you have a certain amount of financial resources. And right now, in this moment, you need to be content with that. You need to be content with who you're with, your family, your friends, your roommate, whoever you spend a lot of time with. You need to be content with their strengths and weaknesses. You need to be content when you are in need. When things are not going your way. Paul was able to do that, right? But also, you need to be content when you have plenty. When things are going well for you. We look at Psalm 62.10. It says, Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. So, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. It's how you view them. If you set your heart upon material things, if if that's what you depend upon, that's wrong and that's sinful, whether you be wealthy or whether you be poor. You can be materialistic and be very poor. So don't set your heart... On wealth, use your wealth, the Bible says, to bless other people. Here's a challenge. When you are in need, it's much easier to learn to be content because you have to turn to Jesus. You have to depend upon Him because you don't have your own resources. But when you are in plenty, when you have a lot of resources, you have this temptation to depend upon yourself. But you see, when you depend upon yourself, you're never quite sure if you have enough. So you have to collect more and more in order to feel secure if you're depending on yourself. So, oddly enough, those people who have a lot of resources, they're the ones who really have a harder time being content because they're not forced, in a sense, in some areas of their life to trust in Jesus Christ. We go to our next passage, Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we need to keep our life from the love of money and greed and be content. You see, the difference between money and God is that God will never leave you. But money might leave you. (laughs) Right? Money will leave you. Money will just walk out the door and 
It will be hours, maybe weeks before you know what happened. <laughs> All right? Yeah, I mean, we certainly have experienced that to a painful degree over the last several years. Certainly in the stock market, pretty much everybody took a hit, probably in their retirement savings and in other areas. Uh, when you lose your job, money walks right out the door. When your car goes south, <laughs> money money runs out the door at that particular time, right? Or when an accident changes the whole nature of your life or an illness, money walks out the door. You cannot depend on money. And the problem is that many of us are. We're putting our faith in our resources, in our bank accounts, in our IRAs. No! They can disappear in a moment. We need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Another challenge that we have with contentment is uh, comparing ourselves to other people. This is really common. You see, the problem with comparing yourself with other people is when you look down at other people and say, oh, you know, you don't have the lifestyle I have. You're not as successful as I am. Uh, you have not worked hard enough. You're not disciplined enough to live the way I live my life and be successful. You're, you're basically being prideful. You're saying, I've got it together, and it's all because of me and not because of God. But when you look up at those people who are farther ahead than you are, those people who have more money, those people who have a more exorbitant lifestyle, you are jealous and envious and saying, why can't I have what they have? Why can't I have that job? Why can't I have that salary? Why can't I have whatever? So whenever you're comparing yourself to others, either you're going to be prideful or you're going to be jealous and envious. It's a no-win situation. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to other people because we're always going to be discouraged and we're always going to be discontent. We need to be content with who God made us, our position in life, and grow from there. Many people are like a thermometer. Are like a thermometer. They have a temperature. And what a thermometer does is that it registers the temperature of where you're at. So, you're a thermometer in your contentment. And based upon your circumstances, if things are going well, man, it's in the 70s, the sun is out. But if your circumstances are not positive, it is extremely warm. It's like over 100, 100% humidity. You are struggling. You just can't go on. And so the thermometer is all the way up. Right? So your thermometer... You're reacting to the circumstances in your life. And as you compare yourself to other people, well, sometimes it's sunny in 70s when you're on top looking down, but when you start to look at other people who are farther ahead than you, well, then the heat goes up again. That's a terrible way to live, isn't it? Well, what I want to challenge you from the Word of God to be is a thermostat. What's a thermostat do? It doesn't register the temperature, it regulates the temperature, it changes the temperature. That way you can always have the same temperature in your home. 
the perfect temperature that's determined by you, not your spouse. <laughs> there always seems, does anybody agree with the temperature in the house? Anybody there with your, your spouse? You guys are on the same page. How many disagree with your spouse and the temperature? Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, uh, everybody, you know, you kind of sneak out after bed, you know, when they're sleeping and change it. And, uh, <laughs> I've never done that. But the point here is that you control it, okay? You're able to set it because it's not based on circumstances. This is not based on other people. It's based on Jesus Christ. That's what we need to focus our attention upon. Now, as we move on here, some of you might be saying, Dan, I agree with you about these different things. The Bible teaches this, but I could never do this. I am so ingrained in the way that I think in regards to comparing myself to other people, in regards to tying contentment to circumstances. It sounds great, but I can never do it. And you know what? You're right. You can never do it. And that's the third point in our last. Contentment is supernatural. Contentment is supernatural. Philippians 4.12 I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, here's a secret. Do you want to know what the secret is? Huh? Uh. <laughs> Come on now. Do you want to know what the secret is? Yeah, oh, yeah, I thought you did. I thought you did. Philippians 4.13, here's the secret. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Now, this is one of the most well-known verses in the New Testament because it's a powerful verse, right? I can do everything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. But many times it's abused. It's taken out of context. The classic illustration is that of a student who walks into an exam and prays before he starts and says, Oh, Lord. I have not studied for this exam at all. You know how busy I've been. But I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. So I pray that you would download all the answers into my head in order that I might ace this thing. Lord, I'm trusting in you. You told me to trust in you. This is a test. (laughs) No, 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 no. This is not a categorical type of promise that applies to every area of life. What is the context? The context is contentment. You can be content in all situations, in every circumstance, through the power of Jesus Christ. You cannot be content in your own power. Do not try it at home. It does not work. You need to be content through the power of Jesus Christ. And notice what it says. I can do everything through Him. Through Him. It's not I can do everything with Him. I can do everything in partnership with Him. No. You've got to let Jesus Christ take control. Just like last week when we talked about anxiety, right? The problem is you're trying to control your life. As long as you're controlling your life, you're going to have anxiety. When you get Jesus Christ control of your life, then you're going to have peace. We need to give it over to the Lord. We look in Galatians 2.20. The exchange life. His life for our life. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That happens at salvation. But Christ lives in me. Christ comes into me. 
He lives in me by His Spirit. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I live by faith in the Son of God. Every day you need to live by faith in total dependence upon Him. And you need to let the power of Christ flow through you. We go back to our secret here. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Now, is that really the way that you live? Some people say, well, I can do everything through my intelligence who gives me strength. I can every, do everything through my education that gives me strength. I can do everything through my money that gives me strength. No, you're going to run out of gas. You see, the key here, friends, about Jesus Christ, when you're abiding in Christ, when you're walking with Him, when He is living through you, when your energy runs out, what happens is is that Jesus Christ's energy kicks in. It kicks in. It's supernatural. Some people, when they see somebody who's gone through a traumatic event, say, I could never go through that. I would just fall apart. <laughs> They'd put me in a mental ward. Well, no. You see, you haven't been through that situation. And if you went through that situation and you depended on Christ, you could get through that impossible situation in your mind. It's when you run out of energy that His energy kicks in and gives you that supernatural push in order to get through very challenging times. That's the incredible promise that we have in this verse. And that's why we should be so encouraged by it. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one Rest content, untouched by trouble. How can you be content? Is when you fear the Lord, when you submit yourself to Christ and say, Christ, live through me. I give you the control of my life. I'm dependent upon you. That's when you can be content, and that's when you're untouched by the trouble in your life, even though it swirls around you. Bob Page is a pastor in Crystal Lake, Crystal Lake Free Church, a friend of mine. And about a year and a half ago, he lost his wife to cancer at the age of 60. He also had a bout with prostate cancer. And I came across a statement of his this past week. And he talks about after the death of his wife, and he was talking with a friend. And he says, last fall, when we learned the extent of Linda's illness, his wife, and I realized what was ahead. I knew I'd need to learn how to be a servant to my wife in ways I had never done. I wasn't sure I could do that. Now I look back on all that I've done for her, and I think, wow, God gave me the grace to do all that. He didn't have the strength, but God provided it. He also says, with God, it's not just comfort it's comfort with strength in it, with teeth in it. God's power is real. And if you've never experienced it, you need to access it because it's going to propel you in ways that you never thought you could be propelled and moved through situations and coping with life. It's strength with teeth in it. His strength is real, and it can be part of your life this week. Fanny Crosby was a prolific hymn writer back in the 19th century. She wrote, she wrote over 8,000 hymns. 
The interesting thing is, is that at six months, a doctor botched her eyes, and she was blinded for the rest of her life. And this is what she wrote when she was only eight years old. Oh, what a happy child I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. Now that's an eight-year-old who's blind writing that. Now think for yourself. Uh, think to yourself for one second and say, would I rather be blind than have the problems that I have right now in my life? That's always a good question to ask. To take some type of handicap, some other problem that another person has. Would I rather have that in my life? I think probably the majority of us would say no. You see, God's put or allowed into our lives what he's allowed in order to grow us, in order to draw us to him. And we need to be content in him. And in our weakness, that's where his strength flows from. She wrote this very well-known hymn, Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. It's all about she is praising the Lord that she is a child of his. That he has given her salvation. She goes on to say, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. She was content in her own life. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Now let's just take a moment and sing this a cappella together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Oh, dear Lord, we want to be content. And Lord, I pray that we would obey your word. That we would realize we can't be content on our own. But as we face each day, that we would remember it's only through your power that we can be content in life. In no matter what is going on right now, we can find satisfaction, we can find power, we can find grace, find grace and comfort in you as we abide in you, as we let you flow through us. Help us to learn the secret that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Christ's name, amen. We could have our ushers come forward. We're going to bring our offerings before the Lord. We had an election just recently, and we are a polling place. And we see Kurt Danielson, husband of Kim Danielson, who's our treasurer, and uh, caught him voting uh, that particular Tuesday morning. And then you see another picture of people casting uh, their ballots. Well, you make that possible. They're your gifts. You pay for the mortgage. You pay for the utilities, the heat, and the lighting. And there was one precinct or one facility that was down. So we had double the amount of people on election day. Thousands of people came through our gym and voted. 
And I know that God uses that kind of thing. In fact, last night we had an 18-year-old woman who showed up because she had voted here. God prompted her through voting here to say, hey, you should check this church out. And I hope that in the years to come, the people who come to this church to vote, when they're in a time of crisis and God is leading them, they're saying, yeah, there's that church over there that I vote at. And maybe I should check that out. Through your gifts, you make that possible. Thank you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for our generous body. Thank you for this facility that we can use to reach out to our community. In Christ's name, amen.